Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and I pray that we would know more and more uh, that you are a a safe fortress, uh, that you are here to both protect uh, and empower us to live the life you have for us with our church family, with our extended family in this world. Dear Lord, I pray we would know that we need your protection. That, as we're going to see in Scripture, it is a a battle. And if left on our own, we can't make it. So I pray we would see what you give us to be both tender and tough. And that we have victory in you, Jesus. Lord, today we want to pray for those that are on our hearts. Perhaps it is a, uh, a parent or a grandparent or an uncle uh, who have served, uh, families that we know who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. We ask your hand upon them. We pray for those who are, who are fighting now. Pray for those who are suffering under persecution now. Christian brothers and sisters that we don't know, yet we will know in glory one day. So we do want to never forget the gift that we have to worship freely and those who who don't have it and yet freely worship. Thank you for the power of your spirit that crosses time and nations, and connects people. Let us respond to that spirit, your spirit, today. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Y'all have a seat. Thank y'all again for being here. Take your Bibles, turn please to Ephesians chapter 6. It's the last chapter in Ephesians. We're going to read verse 10 through verse 20, Uh, over the last about six weeks, uh, really since Easter, we've been in this series called How Do I Know God? How Do We Know God? And today we close uh, by seeing uh, what He gives to us. And we also see uh, the reality as Christians uh, that we live in, uh, that we are in a, uh, we're in a fight. So the passage that we're looking at shows us how to fight. How to fight. Let's read this and, uh, and then we'll talk about it. This is Ephesians 6, beginning verse 10. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, but to the church today. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Uh, again, today we're, we're talking about uh, a fight, uh, a battle that as Christians we are in. So this, this message is taught would be about spiritual warfare. And I want to begin uh, refocusing again on one verse, verse 12. Paul tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're in a fight. Uh, we're in a battle. It is supernatural. But this passage uh, tells us how to, be, uh, how to be tough. As Christians, we're tender. We're also tough. And it shows us how to fight. Now, now, let me also say, uh, some folks are, are really uh, uncomfortable uh, with the notion of spiritual warfare. Uh, and if you're uncomfortable, then I would say you're unprepared. Um, because this is a reality. Uh, others uh, amongst us can be like, you know, man, it's, it's all uh, spiritual warfare. Or, or it's all, you know, the devil. We're going to see that, uh, that he does attack everywhere. But, but there are sometimes where there are other things in the world and in our flesh uh, that try to uh, bring us down, the devil uses to, to bring us down. So you have to have a sort of balanced approach uh, in, in looking at this. But in this verse 12, it is, uh, it's really clear who we fight against. Uh, Paul uses the word wrestle, and, and that Greek word wrestle, it literally uh, means hand-to-hand combat. So Paul is saying, I mean, we're, we're in a fight hand-to-hand. And, and something interesting I didn't know until this week when I was studying the passage, those words cosmic powers that we see in English, uh, the Greek word for that, uh, and I'm going to say something in Greek here, so uh, don't check out, but it may sound a little weird. It's called kosmokratoros. Kosmokratoros. That word literally means high-ranking fallen angels. Now that sobered me up. Because the word is for us today, and, and I, I mean, I wish I, I knew Greek. I don't, but, you know, there, there's so much more, and I'm not going to learn it, you know, not speak it, but there's so much more depth when you get to know the, uh, the original language. High-ranking fallen angels is opposing our, our Christian life and walk. Now, as I said, there is there's spiritual warfare. Uh, there is a fight. But yet, this is what we all need to know. And I had to remind myself as I was preparing for this message, there is not one inch of this earth and there is not one inch of your life that Jesus Christ does not say, mine, mine. This guy, Satan, we're going to talk about today, defeated foe. He will use, though, every ounce of energy in his puny, pathetic life to bring us down. But Jesus says, mine. Ultimate victory has been his and our enemy will be cast in the lake of fire that's biblical, that's not my words, revelation, okay? 
So you need to get that as we start talking about Satan and spiritual warfare. Now, I want to say this too. Uh, We are attacked through three things. And sometimes you can get hit by one, sometimes two, sometimes all three. And I'd call these the world, our flesh, and the devil. And it's very important to understand those three and also understand you can be attacked by one of those or all three. You see, the world is corrupted by sin. The flesh, our flesh, opposes the things of God. And the devil uses the world and the flesh to attack us. It's real important to get this understanding. Let me use the example of depression. Uh, anybody ever been depressed? You don't have to show your hands. I, I mean, I've, I've battled that before in my life. There we go, okay? Depression. Now, let's take the world, flesh, and devil, okay? So the world, the world is broken. So, like, there may be something, you know, like chemical going on with that depression, okay, in your life. It's a broken world. Now, the flesh, you could have done something that brings up guilt, okay? So you don't have to, it doesn't have to be the world or the chemical. It could be just something in your life you feel guilty about, or you could hope in the wrong things. And so when you don't have something you feel like you need, you can feel depressed. And then there is the devil who attacks and could use the things of the world or the things of the flesh. So you get all three, you know, coming down upon you. Or it could just be one. It's important to get that understanding, though. World, flesh, devil. But now, I do want to focus on the devil. Because there, there's some who are like, yeah, a literal devil. I mean, they're like, you know, kind of devil schmevel. I mean, come on now. Literal, that's not, Jesus believed in him. Paul believed in him. First John 5.19 said that the world is under the power of the evil one. It's biblical. Acts 26.18, Paul is recounting Jesus speaking to him, saying, I'm sending you to the Gentiles that you may turn their hearts from the power of Satan so that they will have forgiveness of sins and new life. Turn their hearts from the power of Satan to Christ. So he is, he is real and he does attack. He does attack. He is a philosopher, theologian, psychologist. Think about this. He's had thousands of years to study. Okay? He's pretty smart. Uh, he does all he can to imitate God because his primary desire is to be God. But he is not God. And you need to be clear on this too. Uh, It's not like competing equal forces, good light, bad. This is not Star Wars, okay? It's not what we call dualism. Satan is it? No, it's not. It's not like good force, evil force. I always say it like this. It's not like God and Satan are in this cosmic chess match and God's like, oh, wow, good move. Now I've got to count. That's not it. Satan's a creative, created being. Satan, get this, Satan doesn't even rule hell. Satan has no dominion, no authority. Colossians 1 and 2, read that, talks about the dominion of Christ, everything. Satan is created, he has no dominion. He acts like he has, and he'll act like he has dominion in your life. He does not. Again, it's not Star Wars. It's God up here, everything else is underneath. But he wants and will do his best to imitate God in our lives, in our, our world. Now, I want to I go over and I want to talk a little bit about Satan as in like where he attacks 
who he is and what he attacks with. First off, where he attacks? Everywhere. Everywhere. So he will attack our relationships. He will attack our marriages. So I preached last week on marriage, Ephesians 5. He will attack our relationships with our children. Paul writes about that earlier on in Ephesians 6. He will attack us when things are going good. I say this, beware of the good times. Beware of complacency. That's when we are sitting ducks. I'm just speaking the truth as I know it. Beware of complacency. He attacks through computer screens. Now, the easy one to go to there is porn. You know, one click away. Just go another click. You need to get this too. He attacks through envy and coveting in Facebook. Okay? Uh, He attacks with wrath. Just go to Jackson Jambalaya. Yeah, I mean, seriously. He attacks through computer screens. He attacks when we are going through spiritual disciplines. Uh, Anybody been in there, what we call Rise with God time, and just going through the Word or going in prayer, and then you're like, where did that thought come from? What is that all about? Satan does not want us to draw near to God. So the attacks may get greater at that point, at that time. Uh, There's a great verse, very revealing verse, the end of Luke 4, after Jesus is tempted, and it's, what does it say? Anybody know? Speak it out, preach it out. What does it say? End of Luke 4, Jesus resisted Satan, and the word says, Satan, flee, thank you, or left him until an opportune time. He attacks at opportune times. He is looking for opportune times. The where is everywhere. Now, the who, like who is Satan? Let's, let's see what Scripture says about him, okay? He's going to have some, uh, some verses on the screen. You can write them down, but go through what Scripture says about our enemy. Uh, first off, 1 Peter 5 says he is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser, that he will accuse you. We'll talk about that in just a second. John 4, Jesus calls him a liar, that he has been a liar from the beginning. Something very important to, to know, though, is Genesis 3. He is a wordsmith. Like I said, he's had thousands of years to study. He can manipulate language. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he blinds us. He blinds. Prowling line, accuser, liar, manipulator of words, blinds us. This is who our enemy is, who Satan is. What does he attack with? This is really vital to know too. How does he do it? How does he go about? Three words. Accusation, imagination, and deception. Accusation, imagination, deception. First off, he will accuse us. Okay? So he accuses you, or he accuses me of, you know, you are this way, and and you can't help it. Now, now a big thing to, to know is what's the difference between an accusation by the devil and the conviction of the Holy Spirit? like these voices in our head that you and I hear, what's the difference? We need to know this. 
An accusation is general and there is despair. For example, like, like you are this way. You can pick this in. You, you are just this way and there's despair. Conviction by the Holy Spirit is specific and there's hope. So the Holy Spirit will speak to us about a specific deal, relationship, brokenness. It'll be specific and there's hope. If it's general and there's despair, that is not of the Lord. You need to know this. That's an accusation. Do not listen to that. Holy Spirit speaks. It's specific and there's hope. He works through imagination. The only thing I'll say about this, it's real simple. But for me, it's like priceless. Beware of imaginary conversations. That's all I'll say. Beware of imaginary conversations. Okay? And then deception. The deception that he wants us to buy into is that, hey, God's just not for you. Or God's just not with you. And, and some of us have heard that voice. Let's go back to what the Bible says. He, he's a liar. He tries to deceive us. So we have this enemy that over and over again, he is trying to knock us down, knock us down. That is why in this passage, and, and I love when you read in Scripture, and, and as you hopefully rise with God and you read more and you read over it, you'll see words repeat themselves in passages. That means, hey, focus on this word. You know, so when Paul, the writer, wrote, he, he repeats a word here. I don't know if you picked it up. It is stand. Stand. Verse 11, stand. Verse 13, withstand. Verse 14, stand. Enemy trying to knock us down, he's saying stand. He's saying you can stand. And you need to know more so than who and what and where the devil is, you need to know today the power of our Lord, the power of God. God is God, Satan's a created being, Satan has no rule, domain, or authority. He'll imitate it, none. We see this throughout the Bible. Let's go back, Exodus 7. Uh, not all of you know what happened in Exodus 7. You'll remember the, the Sunday school story. Aaron threw down the rod, became a snake. Then all Pharaoh's magicians threw down uh, theirs. It became a snake. What did Aaron's snake do? Gobbled up all the other snakes, okay? Amen, amen. Uh, Gideon, I, I love the story of Gideon. God says, 32,000, you got too many. Let's bring it down a notch. 10,000, got too many. Let's bring it down to 300 so that we can rely on him. What did Gideon do? By the power of the Lord, defeated the foe. Even more, what the Bible's working up to, the cross. The cross, where Jesus defeated the devil. Defeated him. What we have now we have armor. That's what Paul is talking about. The Lord's armor that we can have then, now, tomorrow. Okay? And I just want to say this before getting into the armor. If you don't, I don't know where you are in like spiritual warfare or I don't know where you are in uh, your belief about the devil, but think of it like this. We know something's wrong with the world. Something's wrong with the world. I mean... We have Memorial Day. Let's just think back to the 20th century. You know, my great uncle, God bless him, went through the Battle of the Bulge and, you know, saw things that I don't want anybody else to see. And all the wars that were fought. So we remember that 
And today, this time, you know, it, it's almost like, like we got everything we need, you know. I mean, technology, speed, communication, and yet we still lock our doors at night and we still warn our kids to not talk to strangers. We know something's wrong with the world. Jerry Foster just said, you know, and, and I don't know the news, but, you know, ISIS was another attack this morning reported. We know something is wrong with the world. And one of the reasons I'm a Christian, not just because of, you know, saved for the future, saved for the present, but like the biblical worldview, if you really get into it, and I love for us to use our minds, like it is an answer to life because we see the world and we know something's wrong with it, but the Bible gives us an answer that Jesus on the cross defeated the power of sin, so there's hope. Jesus on the cross defeated Satan, so there is hope. So, you know, for our lives today, you know, what I want us to all know is that not only is there hope, but there is, there is armor that God gives to fight and fight well, and we need it. I need it. We all need it. So let's look at this armor. And, and also, many people think, like biblical scholars, that as Paul was writing this, he was in jail. And so he was like looking at, as he was writing, or a guard, a Roman guard. So, so he saw all this armor the Roman guard had. And then he applies it to our life, our life today. So let's look at his armor, the Lord's armor that we can wear and use. There's six, and then I'll add one, a seventh, which is prayer. The first one would be the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The belt holds things together. It holds everything together. Uh, you know, hopefully we're all wearing, I'm wearing a belt. Hopefully we're all wearing belts here because it holds everything together. What is the belt of truth? It is the eternal saving truth of Scripture. Biblical truth. So what I'd say is... Uh, if you're struggling, you might need to tighten your belt, okay? Like if you're struggling in your walk, tighten your belt. I love to say that there are no accidents in Christianity. A truthful life is no accident. You're being intentional. Tighten your belt. There are times where we have to tighten our belt. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this, this breastplate of righteousness really would, would cover all of a person's uh, vital organs, okay, and protect uh, the soldier. So what this is for us is not uh, a righteousness that we can generate. It is the Lord's righteousness. Philippians 3, 7 through 9 says, put on his righteousness. 2 Corinthians five nineteen says, in him who knew no sin, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is, and here's a theological word, this is imputed righteousness. A righteousness that is given. So our works don't generate this. We don't get this righteousness. Jesus on the cross, what he did, gives us the Lord's righteousness. Okay? And you need it. So this protects us. So something the Lord has given in grace protects us from the devil. And, and you see this in a person's life. There, there's a wonderful story. I know we got some golfers in here. We got some golfers uh, in the church uh, as well, and some of y'all may be playing today. 
But there's a story about uh, a pro golfer, I'm not going to name his name, who played with uh, Jack Nicholas, uh, President Ford, who was president at this time, so this was back, you know, several years ago, and Billy Graham. And so they did, they did 18 holes. And afterwards, a friend of the golfer that I won't name came up to him and said, how was it? I was like, man, it's horrible. He said, Billy Graham was just, you know, just pressing and pushing religion down my throat, you know, couldn't stand it. Sorry, you know. Then this golfer went to the, uh, the driving range and just started whacking at balls and hitting and, and blowing off steam. And the guy came up again and said, so did, so did Billy Graham really? Was he like, you know, pushing religion down your throat? He's like, no, I just had a bad game. You know. But here's the deal. Like when you, when you wear the breastplate of righteousness, you don't have to speak. Like sometimes you don't have to say anything. I mean, there's something that exudes from a life. And I would believe someone like Billy Graham, he, he didn't need to preach. He, did, he just lived with the guy for 18 holes. The guy knew he was a believer, obviously. And so, you know, when you're, when you're wearing the Lord's righteousness, it comes off. It's not always in what you say, it's, it's how you live. So there's the belt of truth, there's the breastplate of righteousness. They're the shoes of peace. Shoes of peace. The best way to think about these shoes are like football cleats. Uh, These would not, a Roman soldier's uh, boots or cleats help for traction. And so there'd be no slipping or sliding and would hold them firm. So they're shoes of peace. What kind of peace? Two types of peace. There is peace. There's peace with God, first off. Colossians 1.20. Jesus Christ made peace on the cross for us. Jesus made peace. So so we have peace with God, but there's also a peace of God. A peace of God that He gives. They're They're two very different. Peace with God is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Peace of God is what Jesus said, this is what I give you on the Last Supper. This is the peace Jesus had when the sea was raging and He was resting. This is the peace Jesus had that confounded Pilate. This is the peace that we could call shalom. And that literal word means a well-being. That you walk in peace. Jesus gives peace. You walk in peace. The shoes. Peace with God. Peace of God. He goes on, the shield of faith. Shield of faith. Now, the best way I could describe this would be, anybody seen Braveheart? The Braveheart, like Braveheart. Remember when they're attacking all the arrows and the, the shields protect the entire body and they kneel down? This would be a shield that protects all of the soldier's body, okay? Big shield. Because arrows and darts are coming at us all the time. What are these arrows? Lust, pride, vanity, criticism, hypocrisy. These arrows are being shot at you constantly. Over, they're being shot at you right now. Right now. There's a battle going on right now. We'll talk about that in a second. But before then, the shield of faith. I always say it like this. Faith is not just belief. Don't confuse faith with just belief. Faith is belief plus trust. Like I believe and I trust. I believe and things are not exactly as I want, but I trust the Lord. He's got a better way. He's got a higher plan. I will trust him. It is belief 
plus trust. And we've got to trust that we don't need to fight with conventional means. You know, one of my favorite stories, and Chris and I talk about this a lot, is David and Goliath. David did not use conventional weapons, if you know that story. He was offered, you know, sword, shield, armor, all of this stuff. He's like, nah, I'm not going to use that. Too big, uncomfortable. He used unconventional weapons. The conventional weapons that the world, the flesh, and the devil would have you use would be fight fire with fire. If there's hate towards you, hate back. Unconventional weapons is a shield of faith. Belief plus trust. It's really how we should fight. And how we win. Victory in Christ. Then the helmet of salvation. Helmet, head. Think about this. Salvation, we're saved. There's assurance. It protects us. Think about football players. You got your helmet on. You're assured. You know, you'll... You'll make the hit or you'll take the hit because you know you're wearing a helmet. Now, I played football a little bit, didn't in high school, but uh, one thing I played, I was talking to Brother Gary from South Africa about this, uh, I played rugby, okay, uh, in Australia. It's a whole other story, won't have to go into that. But I was playing rugby and I'd see, uh, I remember seeing after a game, like, uh, this didn't happen every game, but uh, one or two games, there'd be a guy that would just carry it off on a stretcher. So I got a little concerned, okay? And you could actually wear, not a football helmet, but there was this, uh, this helmet-type deal that would give your head a little bit of protection that any player could wear. And I was like, I'm going to start wearing this helmet. Like, you'd strap it on. I mean, it's like old-school football. You know what I'm saying. I also thought it looked kind of cool. Now, the coach said, though, coach said, all right, y'all can wear these helmets, but if you wear the helmet, and I can't do the Australian accent, he said, if you wear the helmet, I'm trusting... That, that in the scrum and in your tackle, you're going to use your head to try to knock the ball out of, his, uh, out of their hands. Now, now, I know a lot of you are saying, that's what's wrong with him, okay? Because, I mean, you know, you're wearing the hat. I mean, but literally, it's like you knock the ball out. Amen, Gary? Where's Gary? Amen, there you go. And he said, so you, if you wear the helmet, knock the ball out with your head. But, and I, would, I didn't do that. But, okay, there is this assurance of saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit, a little bit more safe here. And when you know you're saved, you're safe. There's assurance. A, a more recent example, so you don't have to play rugby, but you know, I was preparing for this message in my office, and when I'm studying about the devil, and when I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, there was like a foreboding presence in my office. No lie, not to get like, I mean, it was just real deals like, and this is kind of unsettling. And, you know, what... What got me over that was the assurance, was the helmet of salvation. I'm good. I'm saved. It protects, it assures. And then the sword of the Spirit. Now, all the other weapons we've talked about are defensive. This one is offensive. It's offensive because we fight. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He used Scripture to fight. What, how do we fight? Words of Scripture. That's why we emphasize rise with God. What do we do? We read God's Word. We need, it, need to read it over and over and over again. It's not about you, but I forget. I do forget. So you want to read it constantly. You want to meditate on Scripture. You want to memorize Scripture. You want to study Scripture. It is the sword. It is also, though, and we don't need to forget this, the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit wields the sword. Read, spoken, 
So in your daily encounters, when you speak with Scripture, you want to trust that the Spirit wields His sword. And look, there's a battle going on right now. Are you letting the Spirit wield His sword? Are you thinking about the lake? Are you, are you thinking about, you know, what you're doing tomorrow? Or maybe you are playing golf and that story rang a bell. I wish I was playing golf today. There's a battle going on right now. There's a battle going on in me as the Word is proclaimed. Uh, letting the Spirit wield that sword, there's a battle going on in your mind right now. And so when you hear God's Word, sometimes it may be a squeak because the enemy is winning. And you, and you can have like the best preacher, you know, Billy Graham, and it could be a squeak. Or you can say, I'm going to let the Spirit wield his sword. And you could have the most ill-equipped person, and it, it's a roar. It's not me, it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. Are you letting him wield his sword? Will you respond to the Spirit? Last thing, real quick, because you need to answer that question in your heart. But the last weapon we have is, is prayer. And, and real quick as we close, because uh, Paul says pray at all times. You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, if some of you like history and like stories of knights, round table, all that. When a squire, the night before he became a knight, he would go into the chapel and pray all night and he would lay out all his armor. And he would pray over his armor that night. So prayer is most important. How do we pray? A few quick things. It has to be spirit convicted. So the spirit leads us in how to pray and gives us the energy to pray. It's a wonderful story, a book called Spiritual Leadership. Oswald Sanders writes about a man, George Miller, who prayed for two men for 50 years that they would be saved. One came to Christ right before his death. Another came to Christ after the brother praying for him had died. Spirit convicted. It must be continual. You know, you probably don't realize this. There are two levels of our mind. One is what we're always thinking, like you're hearing now. Oh, I need to take notes, or I forgot that. Or it's calculating what I'm going to do today. But there's a deeper level of our mind that can be praying continually. Without, that's what I mean, without ceasing. As you're thinking, you're praying at the same time. It has to be varied. Prayer is varied. What we call PACT, P-A-C-T, petition, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Prayer must be persistent. Again, pray at all times. Keep praying. It must be intercessory. So we pray for Christian brothers and sisters. Pray for them. Like I pray for y'all, actually, the first song that we sang here, I decided to stand up in the sound booth and just look out and who was coming so I could see your back and begin praying for you by name. And then prayer must be planned. Think about this real quick. You don't, um, you don't just wake up one morning and say, hey, let's go on vacation. Hey, let's go to the beach or hey, let's go to the mountains. And just, just some of you may do that, okay? But not all, usually it's planned. You plan your time, you take off, you plan where you're going to be. You've got to plan your time to pray. We've got to continually, now, 10 years, now, 20 years, continue growing in prayer. So I just want to close by praying for you. We'll do something different today. As the, uh, as the team uh, comes up to play, before we take communion, I'd ask all heads bowed.
Heads bowed, eyes closed. Uh, my head is bowed as well, so I'm not going to see, but I am going to ask you to uh, hold up your hands on a couple things. So I do want to pray for you. And I want to pray that you would hear the roar of the Spirit. And I pray that you would know that a battle is going on in your mind and in your hearts each and every Sunday because you're coming here to draw close to God. So eyes closed, heads down. If any of you is just feel like you're getting hit, and it's just one thing after another, maybe it's financial, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's relational, maybe it's with a spouse, uh, with a child, could you just raise your hands right now? And I'm not looking out, my head's down too, but just acknowledge before God. Just raise your hand, put it down. I want to pray for y'all. Heavenly Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters that, uh, that they would know the power that they have in you, that they would wear your armor, they would know victory is in Jesus, and that you would, uh, not only would you show them to yourself to them, but they would really see you and your hand uh, in these challenges, that you're working for them and you're using them. Pray to the Lord they'd see it. I pray they would know your power in their lives right now. Amen.